Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Welcome to the EduTrends podcast and webcast brought to you by the Institute for the Future of Education of Tecnológico de Monterrey. I am your host, uh, Jose Pepe Escamilla, Associate Director of the Institute for the Future of Education. Today's episode guest is Mpine Makwe, the Commonwealth mm. Learning Chair in Open Education Practices Resources at the University of South Africa. It's a pleasure to have you here, Mpine. Thank you. Thank you very much for your kind invite. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation and to the chat. Thank you very much. So I, I would like to start this conversation around your involvement with uh, uh, UNESCO's uh, Future of Higher Education project and work. Can you tell us a little bit about this project? Okay, thank you very much. The, the projects actually started last year. As you will recall, the work, the World Higher Education Conference was supposed to take place in 2021, but due to COVID, it was, it was uh, transferred and it was changed to take place this year. So when we started the project, we were asked to write a background paper, which is basically a concept on higher education. But I was invited to be part of the World Higher Education Conference because I participated in, in an expert, um, uh, ISALC, expert uh, meeting that we had and from that meeting we were asked to develop concept notes uh, following the COVID. What would higher education look like in, in 2050? So a number of us wrote as experts from different uh, parts of the world, we wrote what we thought um, um, higher education should look like. And since I come from an open education background, uh, I've been teaching at the Open Distance Learning University for more than 20 years. So, so I always uh, put emphasis on openness. So my concept, my idea of higher education in 2050 is that it's likely to be more open, more personalized, more collaborative, and 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 more um, inclusive of many people. So that's that that was the concept that I came up with, and then that's when I got invited to participate in the project. But I was also invited to participate in the project because I'm a member of the University Futures Network, and in that we look at the methodology. So I decided, I thought, well, all of us have different views of how higher education should look like in 2050, but we do not have the methodology that will assist us to get there, the methodology that will assist us to do research around that. So my background document focused mainly on the methodology that could be used, the futures research methodology that will assist us to come up with all these images that we are coming up with. And the first process that I started with was the visioning process where I asked people to imagine higher imagine their communities in 2050. Before we even get to higher education, just you know clean up your mind, remove everything that is in your mind and imagine a community in 2050. And from that process, they talked about what the community would look like. And, and from there, 
we then decided to say, okay, if that's how the community would look like, then what type of higher education is going to support that community? This is going to support the economic activity, the social and political communities, the, the, the technology as we know it. So that's, that's when we developed a, a background document that formed part of the World Higher Education Conference. So this background document, the focus, and as we were doing that, because it was a process that took about a year, and as we were doing that, we decided to look at one type of a vision. And that type of a vision was a common good vision. And we're saying we've been through public good, and we have seen that public good is very good and uh, uh, when the state is enabling higher education to perform to its optimal. But in some areas, um, the state, its function has not su well succeeded in, do in doing that. And especially in developing countries like ours, and more and more now we are finding that funding is dwindling in higher education, forcing people to now pay for their own uh, school fees and fund their own education. And when you deal with people who come from in an equal environment, you find that those that always had access continue to have access to higher education because they do have the funds to sponsor themselves into higher education. And those that do not have access, they continue not to have access. So it creates some type, some kind of inequality. Coming from South Africa, in an environment where inequality was based on race, gender, and all those things, and, and it was very strong, it was actually legalized discrimination. So when you come from that background, it is also important that the, the systems have to be put in place to ensure that there is type of equality. So when we went to vote for the first time in South Africa, we voted for equality. But little did we know that equality has its own, um, um, its own limitation. One major limitation about equality is that it assumes that all of you start at the same, at the same, uh, from the same base. When you start the race, you are running from the same space. You are starting from the space, same space. So when you are giving things equal, all of you, it assumes that you are you will you will succeed in the in equal measure. Now, what we had discovered is that some of us who come from previously disadvantaged environment, we continually be disadvantaged because we enter into a space from a space of disadvantage, from a from a space of marginalization. So even in, in higher education, when, we, when we, we deal with our own higher education things, we need to recognize that people are different. People come from different spaces. People come from different environments. And therefore, our teaching and learning must be supportive of those that did not have access to higher education in the past, that do not even have maybe their first generation your university students. So they also have their own little things that makes them not be able to succeed as soon as they get in. They, 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 they lack the habitus 
of a, of a higher education space. So it's important for us to have support mechanisms in place as higher education in order to ensure that we are all starting at an equal setting. Those who are already high up there, allow them to, to move there, but also make sure that you cushion these other ones who have not been able to have access to higher education the way we do. That way, we will be able to address the whole higher education space. Now, um, the public good, the other problem with the public good is that it focused mainly on the state and the state will do its own thing. It will, it will give you funding, the resources will come from the state, but what it doesn't allow is, is people themselves to start building themselves. So the common good principle is based on commonality and it's based on sharing, it's based on coming together and develop knowledges together as a team, as people who come from different environments. And, and what higher education has done in the past is that we in the developing countries, we tend to look at the knowledges from the developed countries, from the first world countries. They have a certain type of knowledges and those are the knowledges that have been dumped down into our spaces and hence, my belief, my strongest belief is that we are underdeveloping because we are not using the knowledge systems that are based in our spaces. I think I said um, a lot of things. Thank you. No, no, I, I, great, uh, great things. And I, I was uh, thinking about uh, what you said uh, about uh, students from those uh, uh, vulnerable communities no, that come to the university. And I, I was talking to a president of a university uh, the other day in our international conference in educational innovation. And this president said that uh, there was this uh, uh, woman that came from a poor background that got a scholarship from the university because she was very brilliant. And they give her a 100% scholarship, including uh, tuition, dorms, uh, food, etc. And they thought that was enough, but it wasn't. You know, she was not successful. And he said, we failed that person because uh, uh, of this uh, uh, background, uh, because they are not started on the same level. They don't have mm. the same uh, cultural capital and, and relationships. Mm. Uh, so they don't have people that can reach out to and, uh, and talk to about what it means to be in a university. Sometimes they don't have the skills uh, to relate to other people in a university setting. No? So there are many things that we have to build not only the scholarships and the food and the lodging for those persons, but many other support services that we need mm. because of this uh, different uh, background uh, that are uh, handicapped, no? Uh, for these yeah. people. So thanks for, for your answer, Empine. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Uh, so in the UNESCO Futures of Higher Education Project website, there's a question that uh, the report wants to answer. How could higher education contribute to better futures for all in 2050. So what do you think about, what would be your answer for, to this question? Thank you very much, because that's a question we were actually dealing with um, during 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 the, the whole process. And that's a question that I was looking at, that how can higher education um, contribute to a better future? Uh, as we know that higher education has gravitated really away from the community itself. 
Higher education is no longer a, a public or even a common good. It's much more an elitist uh, type of a system that is very exclu uh, exclusionary. It doesn't it doesn't embrace all and sundry, and that's that's the example I came up with. That it doesn't really embrace all and sundry. Now the higher education. That, sorry to interrupt. So you think that higher education right now, how it is, is more a way of continuing those inequalities? Is will uh... yes, yes, definitely. Higher education, the way it is structured right now, it's continuing to 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 um. It's, it is con it's continu continuing to exclude people. And in, in developing countries, and I'll, I'll always refer to where I come from, it's excluding people because now there are more and more people who want access to higher education. But the higher education space is still very elitist in nature. So it's still continuing with the way they have done things. Uh, we still look at success in terms of the brilliance of the others. We don't look at success in terms of what people can do. So, and, and there's a call really of bringing humanity into higher education, make people believe in humanity. And, and humanity is based on values. Common good is based on values. So those are the values that we want to embrace so that everybody has ownership in this community that we call higher education, not the, those that are higher than the others. But let's come together and share our own knowledge systems. There's, there are things that we can share that are, that are good. And the other area, I mean, higher education has three missions. It's teaching and learning, it's um, research, it's, it's community engagement or community service. Community service is lacking in every other university you can ever imagine. Uh, we do teaching and learning because we give people, students, what we think they should get. We, we do research because the research is what is actually what higher education is measured on. Whether that research has an impact in the developing agenda is one thing, but as long as you are published and you are this scholar, then, then the ranking came in. They look at certain things, but they don't look at the values that, that higher education espouses or higher education is teaching its, its people. If we bring humanity together and own up that we as humans belong to other human beings and we belong to the planet, we have to uh, cooperate with the planet together, then we will be able to address some of the climate change issues that we are faced with today. But because we have removed those things as the other and focusing on things that are more economically, uh, that are more economical and that are more um, generating income for us. So when people come, go to, to higher education, they go for the individual success, not for the communal success. So what, what we are thinking of what higher education should look like, the higher education should go back into the community and address the community and, and deal with communal issues. And let's work together as a community. I know it's, it's something that is not done, but um, the futures of higher education allows us to dream a little bit. 
to come to come out to get out of our comfort zone and also even to question some of the assumptions about higher education who said that higher education is here just to develop my career and who said that once I, I graduate from higher education, then I'm going to be able to get a job and get a better, better, better car, better whatever. Yes, those things are there, but are they what higher education is meant to be? So when you look at the history of higher education, it's, it's very elitist. However, it served a particular purpose, but we had moved with those um, higher education that in, in our context was, was brought in by colonialism and we never um, examined or even checked if it does address what it, what it is meant to be. The vision of the colonial education was, was based on subjugation. And in, in, in Africa, when we got our independence, we just continued with the same education system that was meant for a different era, that was meant for subjugation. Now, now that same higher education is likely to underdevelop us rather than develop us because that's what it was meant to do. So that's where I'm saying the higher education, we need to think about the higher education in the future, not only as being digital, like what everybody is thinking about. Digitalization, yes, assists us, but we need to bring the values of humanity at the center of higher education. If those values were there, I don't think there will be wars I don't think there will be displaced people. I don't, if we look at each other as human beings sharing humanity together, I don't think there would be all these things that we find ourselves in. All these, even climate change, are brought about by the greed in the world that we live in. We can't even live in harmony with the world that was created for us. So that's, that's, that's uh, the, 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 the vision of the, of the higher education in 2050 is the one that has the common good that is based on the common good principle and also that is framed in the social justice mandate because the higher education is supposed to address the social mandate of the of 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 of, of the nation itself and therefore, it needs to address inequalities, issues of inequalities, be it economical, be it political, be it um, even digital. Because what COVID has raised during this time, COVID raised an issue that all of us um, are not equal. Even those that we thought uh, uh, have access to all these things. We found during COVID that many, it was the biggest equalizer of, of all of us because many of us didn't know how to operate in an environment like that. And all of us had to learn how to operate in an, in an environment like that. But what, what I'm afraid of is after learning to survive through COVID is that are we going to, to move away from it and say, well, it was just a period and there's nothing that we can learn from it because we learned resilience as well. We were resilient. We managed to do things that we did. We were taking risks and doing things we didn't know, but we did them in any case. And those are good skills to have as a community, as a society. But if we 
if we look at that as a once-off thing and then go back to what we used to do, then we have failed the future generation because those are the, th are the stepping stone of pushing us to the future that we aspire for. Thank you, Mpine. Very interesting uh, because you're reminding us uh, the social mandate of uh, higher education. And um, uh, when, when we talk about the educational model, I normally say that we put the student at the center. And uh, when I hear you, uh, the university should put the human in harmony with the environment at the center. No? So being, uh, being more... Uh, uh, perceptive of that social mandate uh, addressing those inequalities that are very high in, in, in different parts. I, I don't believe there is only on uh, uh, developing countries. I think it's uh, everywhere there is these inequalities mm. that are somehow perpetuated mm. by higher education. Yes, yes, yes. So I, I yes. would have to shift gears and go to a, 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 another subject. I know that you have been working a lot on open education. You have mm -hmm. background in open education. So what's the relationship of these uh, 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 kind of resources with, the, with this uh, uh, future of uh, the university that you see, uh, that better future of how it contributes to that better future of the university, open education? Um, thank you for that question, because um, all, all my life I have been a proponent of open education and I think and, and I have not been <laughs> um, I've been doing it alone and maybe with a group of people it's something that is not very popular and I think part and, and it just became popular lately and I think part of the reason that it is like that is that higher education by nature has been a closed system. It has been a system for the chosen few, a system for the elite, and then openness, it says that um, people should have access irrespective of whether they have a, the, the, the money to get access into things. So the resources, the open education resources that we develop are those that we just put, we put them online and anybody and anyone can access them. And you know, um, we developed resources before and the, the, the uptake was not as, as, as huge as we thought it would be. But during COVID, when people were stuck in, in houses, the uptake just skyrocketed of those open education resources. They learned how to, how to teach in an online space because the digital resources that I was doing was how to teach in an online space. And what's the difference between teaching in an online space and a classroom space? And, and people were actually looking for those kind of resources. And those resources were available for free and for all. And our starting point with developing open education material is that um, education is a good. It's a common good, it's a public good. So anything that has been produced using public money, it should be made accessible to all and sundry. As a, as a lecturer, as a university professor, I get my salary from my, from my country. My country pays my salary because I'm hired by, by the government. And, and when I develop material, those materials need not to, need not to, those materials are not meant only 
to help my students, but they also have to help the, the community at large. They shouldn't help those that paid for those, for those materials. They should also help other people who also didn't even pay for them. The, and, and, and that's where the difference comes in. We, we want, we, I, I, I develop material and then I sell it to my students and then it's double dipping. When I sell it, I get money for, for, uh, from, from uh, royalties. If it's a textbook, I get money from royalties. And then my students have to pay for that. And that, that whole resource, I developed it while I'm using university's time, university's resources, university's everything. So the university is paying me, which is my government, and then I ask money from the students to pay me. So their parents are paying me double. It's the tax and the royalties. But I know uh, people with royalties don't want to hear that. But I think open open education is going to come to is going to rise up because now we have all these things everywhere. And and I believe that in the future there'll be more learning networks. Um, higher education will, will remain, will still have a place. However, there will be other emerging types of education, like your learning networks. They've already started. You find a network of farmers and um, poultry farmers. They will, you can type poultry, you can Google poultry farmers. Then you'll get all these courses about poultry farming, but you'll also get a group of people who are working in those areas and advising you and all those things. So it's, it's a network. You are learning. It's in the process. You are learning. You are, you are doing what you like, but you are doing it with peers. And there's no assessment to that. But at the end of the day, you are actually learning. And now with digital badges, you can get a digital badge. So it's becoming more and more accessible than it used to. So what higher education should be doing in the process is to uh, open their arms and open up their systems so that they can embrace all these new learning methods and your digital badges, all these things, they need to embrace them so that they can be able to have students who can move around between online space and out of and, and maybe a physical space or a distance. But then these students will be able to pick and choose. That's what we call personalization of learning. You, it's like taking a basket, going to the grocery shop, taking a basket and pick what you like. And maybe there may be higher education will be um, examining bodies. Our university started out as an examining body for universities in the UK during colonial era. So that particular thing can be an examining body. You start and you take one course there, one course there, and you package it together, and there'll be institutions who are going to be awarding degrees. Their role would be just to award degrees. So, so maybe, and, and probably that's where we need to go to rather than just having the higher education that we know. It has changed dramatically since it started 400 years ago, and it will continue to change even, even the next 50 years. Thank you, Pimi, for, for, for your answer. I think that one of the challenges in um, open educational resources, well, I, I see the advantages, no? and uh, 
And I see that this is part of the uh, university as a public good, no, as a, um, mm. a common good. Uh, and um, uh, having these open educational resources for all, uh, it's a way of uh, being able to have uh, uh, those resources to be used by everyone. But on, mm. on my experience, uh, there are some difficulties with open educational resources and uh, I, I don't think we have uh, still the answers and I would like to know what do you think about this. One of them is because um, education is usually very contextual. So that uh, the students that I have uh, in my math course will be different than the students that I will have in your math course and even in <laughs> next year's math course, no? So yeah. it's, uh, it's, very, it's very different. Mm -hmm. And also uh, uh, adoption is difficult that's one of the reasons because adoption of open educational resources is difficult. But the other one is the syndrome that uh, not embedded here, so that I, I didn't do it, so I would not use it. Mm. Because it was done by someone else. So there are some barriers for adoption still there in open educational resources, so that really booms. Uh, when uh, during the pandemic, as you said, uh, uh, there was this need of finding resources and things. Mm. People mm. were very avid, so I think that the syndrome of it's not embedded here was broken because uh, people had to find resources to be used. But then, mm. as uh, the pandemic is uh, somehow receding, I think that we're somehow going back to normal, and we still that uh, have that issue. Uh, so, um, the, the creation of a course material has to be more open or collaborative, so that people can. Mm. use uh, the materials not only created by themselves but created by other people so yes uh, yeah yeah i i think that helped i i think i think what helped during the during the, the during COVID, people started looking at other people's materials whereas before they didn't it was like it's mine and mine alone but when they started looking at other people's materials then you can be able to adapt it to your own to your own system but because we are not socialized in higher education to take even things not not even from someone else but taking things in in the same in the same university down the passage you can't get into that room and say can i have your course and then i'll teach it so it's it's our socialization that makes it difficult for us to work collaboratively as a team we are socialized to be very individualized in higher education. And, and as a result, it's my thing and my thing alone. What COVID has taught us and what even delayed the process of people getting vaccine, they had even to open up the, the, the research in vaccine that if you have done a little bit, please put it out there so that some people can work on it and work on it. And, and that's, I think that's is what made it successful in terms of getting the vaccine at the time that they got it because if if that if they it was during those old days where people had to wait and it's my thing and it's my it's, it's my patent it's my this then things take longer to be produced but when we share we come up with different ideas we come up with new ideas and then we are able to 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 make things work a bit better. It's it's for me, Pepe. I must be honest with you. It's a socialization issue, more than the quality, more than the context, more than anything else. It's just the way 
as in, in academic space, we are socialized and, and in academic space, we are told that we are different from other people. And therefore we behave like that. So I think that's that's where this whole thing comes from. But I think we can do it. I think we need we need to start teaching our, uh, the children in our classrooms that it's important to be to work collaboratively. And and it's it's us who can do that. Our assessment should be collaborative, not competitive. But as long as our assessment are competitive, we'll continue to have the problem that you have mentioned. Thank you very much, uh, Mpini. Our, our time uh, it, it's up, so I would like to thank you for for your time and for sharing your take on the future of education, these uh, inequalities, social justice mandate, and education as a common good, as well as the use of OERs to tackle some of this uh, problem. Uh, this talk, talk has been uh, fascinating and enjoyable. Uh, it will surely be of great value to the Institute of for the Future of Education audience. Thanks a lot once again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pepe. I actually even looked at the at, at your institute is doing quite interesting th things. I had to translate though <laughs> some of the things <laughs> to be able to read them. But thank you. Thank you so, so much. We need to connect sometime. And when you have um, maybe something that I can share, then I would I would really love to to connect with 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 you. Thank you very, very much. Uh, thanks a lot. It will be a pleasure. Okay, good. Good stuff. Thank you. Bye-bye. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx slash edutrendspodcast and ife.tech.mx. A special thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey, the Institute for the Future of Education, and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer, Miguel Mejia. Editrans producers, Esteban Venegas and Christian Gijosa. Stay tuned and play Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content.